0: Good morning, Skyview. What a privilege to be here and to share from the Word of God with you. And I want to thank Pastor Brittany and Pastor Stewart and Helen for giving me the privilege of preaching this morning. I have two rather lengthy scriptures to read to you, somewhat complex. And I'm going to invite you to really focus and concentrate as I read them. And then we'll get into them and I'll share some thoughts and some ideas and some concepts from them. But before we do that, let's pray together as we always do and ask God to be present with us as we hear his word read. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The first scripture comes from Genesis chapter 25, the story of Jacob and Esau. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, in his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah Love Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. And so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The second scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. A classic passage, chapter 8 and verses one To be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. What a fool. I mean, really. What was he thinking? Why in the world would he do that? Not very kind words to say about a biblical figure, are they? And in fact, pretty judgmental words. But this is exactly what I think when I read the last verse or verses of the reading from Genesis. What was Esau thinking? To give away his inheritance as the eldest son for a bowl of stew and a bit of bread. I mean, come on, really? A bit of patience, and he would have had lunch anyways. But oh no, he had to have it now. But then, I think how many of us How many times have I settled for short-term present pleasure, ignoring the big picture and choosing instant solutions? How many times have I been just like Esau? How many times have I settled for a bowl of bland when if I'd waited I could have had prime rib or lobster? The passage from Genesis is interesting and puzzling on many levels and holds some good lessons for us as does the passage we read from Paul's letter to the Romans. And if we consider them both together, we might find some guidance and some answers to the questions that make up my title today. You see, I added to my title from what it was originally. When I started to write this, it was, How's your inheritance? But then I added, Or perhaps, Which way are you walking? In Romans 8, Paul presents contrast between two different ways of approaching life two different ways of walking through this life there's the way of the flesh or what he calls sometimes also the sinful nature and there is the way of the spirit that is the way of the holy spirit we have a choice we have a choice about how we will live and with that choice there are consequences for the present and for the future The picture painted by Esau and Jacob is one of contrasts. Twin boys of whom people probably said in the village around the well, why, I can hardly believe they're brothers. How can two boys with the same parents be so different? They looked different. They acted different. They liked different things. And they lived different lives. And the way they lived had different consequences. Paul's letter to the church in Rome is as close as Paul ever comes to writing a statement of his personal theology. And in the lengthy and sometimes convoluted and complicated letter, Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 record a discussion about two ways in which people live in and out of relationship with God. Paul speaks of those who live or Walk according to their sinful nature or according to the flesh, and of those who live or walk according to the Spirit. Those who walk according to the flesh, one might read without God, and those who walk according to the Spirit, one might read with God. Esau, in the incident recorded in Genesis 25, gives a suggestion, I would suggest to you, even a picture of what living and walking in the flesh might look like. Bodily needs. Physical desires are not wrong or sinful in their proper place. But when they take priority over everything else, when instant gratification is the rule, and consequences, both corporate and personal, are often forgotten or ignored one is headed for trouble. It is, as they say, not going to turn out well. I want what I want, and I don't care about the cost or the consequence for me or for others. That's the extreme of walking in the flesh. Letting our natural wants and desires have free reign, letting them take priority over everybody and everything else, letting them rule, if you will. Now, as an aside lest we let Jacob, the little brother, off the hook, he was not entirely innocent either, and his motives were not the purest in the world. He knew what he wanted, too, and it wasn't a bowl of stew. He didn't seem to have any qualms about taking advantage of his big brother's needs or his big brother's impatient and impetuous personality. And I think it would not be untoward or unknown for him to have waited until just the right moment to spring the trap. It's a messy and a rather nasty story. And it's a good description in part about what life for self, shaped and motivated and driven by selfishness, which I believe and think is the self-centeredness that is the essence and foundation of sin. Esau wanted to satisfy his hunger. Nothing wrong with that. Anyone who's ever been hungry knows it feels really good to get a peanut butter sandwich or to get whatever might satisfy that hunger. Nothing wrong with that bodily desire. But Esau's problem was he ignored his better judgment and wisdom and chose instant gratification. And he signed away his future, the future of his children and his grandchildren. Animosity and hatred grew between these brothers. And though in chapter 33 of Genesis there is a reconciliation, They lived their lives out separately. And I tend to believe there was always an undercurrent of distrust between the two. There are always consequences to our actions. If there's a lesson our world needs to learn, young and old need to remember, it's that if you do A, B will happen. There are always consequences to our actions. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but always Now, to jump back to Romans 8, Romans 8, 5, and 6 says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that sinful nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Two mindsets, and there are consequences to the two mindsets. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. This is our inheritance, an inheritance of peace and life and love and living in the Spirit. And we may reject it or we may deny it if we so wish. But why? Why in the world would we give up such a precious inheritance for fleeting gratification? Living, walking in the flesh. Paul wrote his letter to the church in Rome as one who had experienced the presence and the power of the risen Christ. He knew what his life had been and what God had done in and with his life after his meeting with Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul's life had been changed. The persecutor of the church became the promoter and the preacher of the early church. Paul paints a very honest picture of his life. I love his honesty. He talks about his victories and his struggles. Victory because struggles that most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, can identify with. A couple of very important things to remember, though, about living in the Spirit. To live in the Spirit or under the control of the Spirit does not mean that we cease to have physical needs and desires and wants. We are still human beings with human bodies human needs. What life in the spirit does mean is that how these needs are satisfied and met are no longer dictated and controlled solely by those desires, but are under the Lordship and the guidance and the direction of the Spirit of God. Esau's hunger was real. It was not sinful or wrong in itself. What he did to satisfy that hunger was the problem. It was certainly foolish. and was testimony that the flesh, not the spirit, was in charge at that moment in time. I believe that we have all felt like Paul in Romans 7, where he says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. He describes the contrast of life lived under the control and the direction of the sinful nature, and life lived in the power of God's life-giving Spirit. It is the life of the Spirit, life under the Lordship of Jesus, that holds the keys to victory over the life that we do not want to live. What does life in the Spirit look like? Well, could I suggest a careful and prayerful reading of Paul's letter to the Galatians, especially Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25, which in part says this about life in the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Life in the Spirit, that's our calling, our privilege, our responsibility as Christ followers, and our witness to a world that to a great extent lives in and for the flesh. Life in the Spirit of God is the visible, physical testimony to our choice to place God first in our lives before self and to invite God to live in and through us. This is the calling of Christ to you and to me. It is Christ living in us that allows us and equips us and empowers us, and through his Spirit helps us to live lives that are sanctified, that are set aside and dedicated to loving and serving God as we love and serve others. But very simply, the basic question is one of who or what do we invite to be in control? of these human lives God has given us to live. There are many metaphors used to illustrate this question and the answer. To be honest, I think some of them are pretty cheesy. But perhaps we could say it's a question of who's navigating. Whose map are we following as we journey through life? Who really have we placed in charge of us? Faith in Christ brings forgiveness in a new way, in a new path to walk in. How are we walking? Which way are we walking? Chapter 25 of Genesis, I find to be rather sad, certainly disturbing, but instructive. The story of Esau selling his birthright, giving away his future and the future of his heirs for a bowl of stew and a piece of bread just to satisfy immediately what most likely would have been satisfied a bit later anyways. It's a sad story, but it's a story that's lived out and played out today. He got what he wanted right then. He got his stew and he got his bread. Then he lost what could have been his later. I believe that the temptation is still a very real part of our world and of our lives. We live in a society during an age of seeking instant solutions, instant pleasures, instant satisfaction for self before others. People become frustrated, angry, resentful when the solutions and the answers are not instantly available. Think how easy it is to become frustrated with a beeping busy signal or a slightly slow computer. This may not be true for everyone, to be sure, but I fear it is true for many. Yet those who choose to serve God who would identify themselves as Christ followers, must live differently by and through the Spirit. As Christ followers, we are called and by the Holy Spirit's presence and power equipped to live according to the Spirit, and when necessary, denying or at least postponing the call and the power of the very real needs of our fleshly beings in order to seek and achieve a greater good. And a greater reward. Now, allow me for a moment to attempt to make this as current and as relevant as I possibly can in July of 2020. I may, howbeit gently, I hope, be stepping on some of your toes, and I may well be stepping on my own toes at the same time, but that's okay as we think about the realities of walking in the spirit during this trying and stressful time of COVID-19, this pandemic. Like many of you, I've seen the newscasts of those who claim it as their personal right to not wear a mask, to not socially distance, to not avoid crowds as such. Nobody has the right to tell them what they can and cannot do. Like some of you, like perhaps many of you, I'm weary of the restrictions, the hassle, the stress, the worries that descend upon us so suddenly, just three or four months ago, we didn't know they existed. And now every time we sneeze or cough, we wonder, have I got it? But as those who testify to a desire to walk in the Spirit, in the way of Jesus, who laid down his rights in his life for his friends, who said that the world would know we are his followers by how much we love each other. I do not think that it's too much to ask. I hope that it's not too much to expect. That out of love for others, we would wait patiently in line for others to proceed, to literally place others before ourselves. That we would willingly choose to socially distance and to wear a mask in order that I might protect not only myself, but perhaps even more so protect others. That we might be willing, as much as we don't want to, to stay home as much as possible to protect myself and, again, others, especially if we're not feeling well, that we would exercise patience and understanding with our leaders in government and in the church as they deal with questions and problems and issues that they have never seen before. Questions and issues and problems that do not have instant answers and quick fixes that are, as the overused word says, unprecedented. Living for self alone, satisfying me rather than thinking about others, is not the way of Christ. It's not the way of life in the Spirit. Laying down or laying aside our rights in the interest of the greater good and the health of all seems to me to be much more the way of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, when asked which is the greatest commandment in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And John wrote in his first letter, this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The world will know us to be whose we claim to be by our love. I believe actions like the above actions will be visible evidence that we truly are seeking with God's help to live, to love, to walk in the spirit of Christ and not in the flesh during these challenging days. Others will see how we love and they will glorify God. Peace, joy, health, and patience to you all. Amen.